It must have been shocking and sounded strange to the crowds to hear the words of Jesus in this sermon. I mean, if you slow down and listen to what Jesus says in these declarations, I would think that you would go, I'm not sure that I've seen life fitting the same way. See if these life experiences, your life experience agrees with these declarations. The poor in spirit are blessed. The people who mourn are blessed. The gentle are blessed. People who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're the blessed ones. Uh, those who are merciful, they're blessed. The people who have purity of heart, they're the ones that are blessed. The people who are peacemakers, they are blessed. People who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, they're blessed. In each of these declarations, you automatically get a sense that these are counterintuitive declarations by Jesus. They are counterintuitive. They are countercultural. They are even counterreligious norms of that day and time. And what's so interesting is immediately at Jesus' first sermon that he gives to his disciples as the crowds have been coming to him, uh, really overthrow everything that we know in our experiences and know about life. Because from what we see, the people who are blessed are the ones who are strong. The people who are blessed are the proud. The people who are blessed are the ones who don't care about righteousness. The people who are blessed are the merciless. The people who are harsh, imposing, exercising power. The people who are blessed are the ones who are demanding. The people who are blessed are the people who make war and cause strife. That's what we see. And, and Jesus comes up and he sits on this mountain as the people have come to him. And he proclaims the opposite. And, and in this sermon that he gives, that spans over these three chapters, he declares what is a very hard sermon. And I will then put my disclaimer, this then is going to be a very hard sermon. Because what he says just goes against everything that we have been taught or know. And one of the reasons that I think that this sermon is so hard is because the things that Jesus says are not the things that we observe. We don't observe that there's blessing for being insulted and persecuted for righteousness sake. We don't see that. We don't see that the merciful are the ones who are getting ahead and are blessed. We don't see that. And so that causes a conflict for us. And in fact, what becomes even more counterintuitive is that all of these characteristics that are described are not characteristics that any society ever admires. No society admires the pure in heart, the people who are seeking after righteousness, the people who are mourning, the people who are meek, the people who are merciful. That, that's not what society admires. And what's fair to note is not only does our society not admire that, that society didn't admire it either. In, in Greco-Roman world, they didn't care for those things. And you were looked down upon 
if you were meek or gentle or poor in spirit. Those were things that made you weak just as much as they are in our society today. But there is, I think, something that should strike our hearts as we we hear Jesus' sermon. And this is the framework of what we're looking at this morning. And that is that the disciples of Jesus are called to be completely different from the culture of their day. And to be completely different from the religious norm. In everything that Jesus says in these three chapters, he either defies cultural logical thinking or defies the common religious thinking of the day. Everything that he says runs completely counter to those ideas. And so I think it's important that as we think about what Jesus says in this, Jesus is not saying the goal is to be like the world or to blend into your culture or to accept the religious norms of the day. Rather, he is laying down a standard that is completely different and absolutely opposite to everything that our world teaches, our world endorses, and even our world embraces. And so it's really the essence of what I would like to call an upside-down kingdom. It is completely backward. Everything about what Jesus says is upside down to what the culture and the religious norms try to tell to us. And as we go through these, that's where I want to really spend our time. If you've grown up in these pews, you've probably heard the the Sermon on the Mount hundreds of hundreds of times. And and I want to look at it with, with fresh light in this regard. I believe that what we will find is that we have probably accepted the values of our culture and the norms of the religious world to such a degree that we don't even realize that they are within us and are actually counter to what Jesus called for his disciples to be. It is so easy to become ingrained and and follow the flow of our society that we can fail to see that as we're following that flow, It absolutely is contrary to everything that Jesus is teaching. So let's start with some of the things that he brings out in verse 3. He begins by saying that the blessed by God are those who are poor in spirit. Simple idea that we would be a people who recognize our spiritual helplessness. That we recognize that we cannot rely upon ourselves, but that we are completely impoverished before God. And I want you to realize that the very first thing that Jesus said goes completely counter to everything cultures teach to us over history, as well as our culture itself. Because our world admires self-reliance. Our culture is all about Complete independence. I do not need anyone and I don't need anything. Whatever I need is completely self-sufficient within myself. It's interesting to hear people say that you can find all that you need in you. And I want you to hear Jesus say, no, you can't. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says the opposite, 
That the people who belong to him, the disciples of him, are people who realize that they cannot depend upon themselves. That they are completely impoverished before God. That they are completely empty before God. And yet our culture says we're good enough and we're smart enough and and, and it's, it's all about you and you're great. And Jesus says, no, the people in my kingdom are the re- people who realize they're not good enough. And the people who belong to me realize their intellect do not advance them in the kingdom whatsoever. It's a completely upside down point of view. Because our culture says, you and I, what we need to do is we need to think much of ourselves. And we live in a culture that says, make much of yourself. Be seen. Show everybody how independent you are and self-sufficient you are. You don't need anyone. And Jesus turns around and says, don't make much of yourself. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't rest on yourself because your sinfulness has made you spiritually bankrupt before God. That you have nothing to be offering up like that. It is interesting to think about that idea of being poor in spirit and accepting our spiritual helplessness. Because if you think about that idea, it really does run contrary to every idea of self-esteem and self-praise. Jesus is saying, no, you understand your deficiency so well. That you come before God in total helplessness. Not that you live your life in the world saying, look how self-sufficient I am. But our world praises self-sufficiency. It glorifies your independence and how you need no one. And so the first words of Jesus immediately run against that. The second runs just as much against it in verse 4 when he says, Blessed are those who mourn. And this clearly has an impact of coming off of being poor in spirit and spiritually uh, deficient before God. That we are mourning over our sins. What does our culture tell us to do? You need to be you. And you need to be proud of it. You should be proud of your sins. You should be proud of your actions. You should be proud of everything you do. In fact, all of your actions are right. And you should have no regrets over anything you've ever done. And Jesus says, you know, the disciples that belong to me are the people who are sorrowful over their actions. They're mourning over their sins. They're not proud of what they've done. They're not proud of the things that they've done in the past. They're mourning over that. And they're understanding that their actions are not right. And they're not proclaiming it in that way. And I think that's important for us to think about. If you just slow down for a minute about mourning over our spiritual poverty. We should always be devastated by our sinfulness. We don't like to think about it, but I'll make you think about it for a minute. How many people have you hurt in your life? If you're like me, it's like a lot. 
We shouldn't be people who are walking around proud of our actions and saying, yeah, I don't mourn over my sins. I have no regrets and I just live my life and I set what's right. Jesus says, not my people. My people are broken and mourn because they have broken relationships, that they've done things that they regret, that they've committed sins or things that they've done in their lives that they're not proud of, that they don't proclaim as right and good. Closely to that verse five, blessed are the meek. The meek are blessed by God. Yeah, that's also interesting because our culture also says the opposite. Our culture is all about self-assertion and selfish ambition. Our culture says, look at me, pay attention to me, validate me, see me, acknowledge me, like me, like my content, pay attention and love who I am. And Jesus says, well, my people are meek. My people are not people who go around saying, hey, look at me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Pay attention to me. And that should be particularly notable when you think about the meekness of Jesus. Think about his life. Jesus actually had something for people to pay attention to. And we never read him walking around going, hey, everybody need to pay attention to me. I'm going to do something really neat here. Everybody pay attention. Everybody pay attention for a minute. Got something really great here. Hold on. Let me make sure. Good. Everybody. All right. Everybody here. No. He actually had something that everybody needed to pay attention to. And he didn't go around saying, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's interesting that our culture very much just breathes the idea of self-assertion. You've got to look at me and look at my life and validate it and, and all of that. And Jesus never walked around doing that. He turns to his disciples and is telling them, That to belong to me means you're not drawing attention to yourself. You know how many times Jesus would avoid the crowds? You have people coming to see him and he'd leave. And he'd go to a quiet place. And he'd be all alone and pray to God. And people the next day, where'd you go? He didn't even tell them. He never said, y'all stay right here. I'll be back tomorrow. He just gone. They go, hey, why'd you leave? Because he didn't make it about himself. The kingdom of God doesn't have people who assert themselves and make it about themselves. Further in the fourth one that he gives there in in verse six, when he says that those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, God's righteousness, they are the ones that, that that are blessed by God. This is so interesting as well. Because our culture especially tells us that you need to seek your righteousness. You need to go get your justice. You define what is right. You go live your life by your truth. And you seek out what you think is right. And what Jesus does is he says, my people don't seek to make themselves right. They seek God's righteousness. 
They seek what his right ways are. My people don't go around defining their actions and saying, well, my actions are right actions and the way that I go must be the right way because that's my truth and that's my way. Jesus goes, that's not, not what it looks like in this kingdom. My kingdom are people who say it's not about establishing my ways as right, but establishing God's ways as right. And that means something really difficult. And it's part of what Jesus is walking around doing that we saw in chapter four. Because if we're going to establish God's right ways and not our own, then that means an implicit idea. That means we're not going to excuse our failings, our mistakes and our sins. That's why Jesus is walking around saying, repent. Because the message is not what you're doing is fine. Establish your right ways. His message is what you're doing is wrong. And you need to change. And don't make excuses for it. But accept that you're wrong and the need to change. That's the idea of seeking out the righteousness of God. Notice the next one. Those who are blessed by God are those who show mercy. Oh, boy. Well, our culture is all about winning. Show no mercy. You do what you need to do to get to the top. And it doesn't matter who you walk on, on your way up there. You have to throw people under the bus, you do it. If there's damage along the way, you go ahead and you do it. Do not show mercy. Instead, you know you're right. And since you know you're right, be merciless. And so then... We're merciless in our marriage because we're right. We're merciless on the job because we're right. We're merciless in our community because we are right. And we know that we are right. And we are not going to tolerate anybody else because we are right. And we will win to prove it. Ultimately, being merciless means you care about nobody but yourself. All that matters is you. And since you're right... And your ways are right and you have your truth, then you can win by walking over everybody else. Jesus turns around and says, the only people in my kingdom are people who are merciful. The only people who follow me are people who show compassion, who are forgiving, who help others. That is what the merciful look like. People who belong to me are of a completely different nature than what culture says. Along with that, you notice, I found this one to be quite interesting. Think about verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Being pure in heart is the idea of being sincere. The idea of not being hypocritical, not being duplicitous. Now the reason this cracks me up in thinking about this in our culture is our culture is very much about identifying all the people who are fake out there while at the same time they stay fake themselves. The big problem is all you fake people out there who are all a bunch of hypocrites and all a bunch of liars and all a bunch of deceivers, but just don't pay attention to my hypocrisy and my fakeness. 
It's not a call for them because they're pure in heart. They just want to call on everybody else who's fake. I think it's so important to think about what God is calling for is an inward purity, an inward holiness, an inward sincerity. That what you have within our hearts is not trying to be fake with people that you have a front with one and then you're different towards somebody else. But that the real you, that heart that God has transformed is what is seen by all people at all times. Not duplicitous and not insincere. Blessed are the peacemakers. I want you to think about this idea for a minute. God's people are people who do not cause strife, who do not cause division, who do not cause tension. Rather, they are people who are looking to make reconciliation. They are looking to cross the divide, to resolve conflicts, to mend fences. They are the peacemakers. They are looking to restore relationships. That is what they do. And yet what our culture tells us to do is that if you have been wronged, don't be a peacemaker. Don't try to reconcile. Don't try to solve that problem. No, what you need to do is punish them. You have a right to avoid them. You have a right to make their life miserable. You can be abusive to them. You can hurt them. You can do whatever you want to do to them because they have wronged you. And Jesus says, no, my people are not interested in making things worse. They're trying to make relationships better. They're trying to make it different. And finally to say, Blessed are those who endure insults and persecutions for doing right. This one we might have the culture adopted perhaps even the most because our world is about doing everything we can to avoid anything uncomfortable, to avoid anything difficult, to avoid any kind of suffering whatsoever. Our culture says, if you don't like it, you shouldn't do it. Is that uncomfortable for you? You shouldn't do that. Is that hard? You shouldn't do that. That's what our culture tells us. And I want you to get a sense of how countercultural Jesus is getting at here. When he says there in, in, in verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Do you get a sense of what Jesus is pointing out? He's pointing out that belonging to his kingdom is going to cause a collision with the kingdoms of the world. As you live as the people of God and practice the things that we've just read, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be insulted and persecuted and all kinds of evil is going to be uttered against you. Why would they do that? Put it another way. If Jesus' kingdom and living in it so perfectly aligned with the kingdom of the world, then there would never be insults 
or persecution or difficulty or people speaking evil of you falsely. There is the implication that living according to Jesus' kingdom is going to be so countercultural that the culture of the world is going to persecute it, insult it, revile it, and stand against it. And I want you to notice verse 12, what Jesus says about that. In verse 12, Jesus says, so when they insult you and revile you and make a mockery of you and persecute you and do all of these things against you to cause your suffering, you need to just lay low and adopt the culture of the world and not let that happen because I know that's hard. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. (laughs) They're insulting you and reviling you and persecuting you because you're living in Jesus' kingdom. And he says, and when that happens, don't stop. Rejoice and be glad. That might be the most counterintuitive response of the whole thing that he just said right there. That when they're coming after you, you just be glad about that. And you just keep living the way God has called you to live. Now, I want you to notice the motivation then for living in this upside down life, because I think it's important. I want you to listen to the things that he says there. And we'll just go over them just slowly and just catch All the things that are being promised to those who will live this upside down countercultural life. He begins by saying that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. At verse four, these are the people who are going to be comforted. These are the people, verse five, who are going to inherit the earth. These are the people in verse six that are going to be satisfied. These are the people in verse 7 who are going to receive mercy. These are the people in verse 8 who are going to see God. These are the people in verse 9 who are called sons of God, children of God, belonging to God. Verse 10, theirs is the kingdom of heaven Or how about the middle of verse 12? Your reward is great in heaven. I want us to see that what Jesus is saying is that this is the way of living that will only lead to the true happiness that you're looking for. He said you're going to be comforted. You're going to be satisfied. You're going to enjoy the kingdom. You're going to see God. You're going to be children of God. You're going to have a great reward in heaven. The summary of all that is to say, this is the life that you need to have if you want to have true living, true joy, true comfort, true satisfaction. All of these things are available to you if you will see the reward. And I wonder that maybe that's why we fail at living the upside down countercultural life is that we forget all that Jesus is promising us. 
Because if we look around in our world and it say being poor in spirit and mourning and meeking and hungry and thirsting for righteousness and being merciful and being pure in heart and doing all those things doesn't seem to be doing us much good. It's causing persecution. And so when difficulties arise, I'm going to step back and not practice those things anymore. And I think that we can forget what is being offered to us. I want you to look at those and I, I want you just to pick one of those that has meaning to you in your life right now. Because I don't know where you are in your season of life. But I want you to listen to the promises that Jesus is making about yours being the kingdom of heaven or, or they shall be comforted or inheriting the earth, being satisfied, receiving mercy, seeing God, being children of God. Great is your reward in heaven. Would you just pick one of those that resonates to you and zero in on that reward and just think about that great goal? Whether it be, here's God saying, you will be satisfied. Or maybe you're hurting right now. You'll be comforted. Or maybe you feel far from God. He says, you will see God. Or maybe you feel like I don't belong anywhere. And he says, you're children of God. Or you feel like, man, I have been terrible. We talked about regrets and people hurt. And God says, you'll receive mercy. To zero in on one of those and hold on to that. I've talked a lot in a number of my sermons lately about some of my friends that I know that you don't know that have just been on my heart who've gone through uh, such difficulties in their life. And they walked away from God. They were unwilling to live the blessed life because life got hard for them. It just got real hard. And they left. They quit. They'd been exposed to all the same things I'd been exposed to of God. I grew up in the pews. And I sometimes wonder that when life doesn't go according to plan, which it never does for anybody, and when the darkness comes in and seems to swallow us up, which it does for everybody, I wonder if sometimes we forget everything that Jesus is promising to us. That we think that leaving God is going to find the satisfaction and the comfort and the hope and the mercy that we need. When in fact Jesus is saying, no, you've got to live this upside down life to get what you're looking for right now. When the darkness is coming at you and when life is getting hard, that's when you need this upside down life all the more. That's when you need to press into God all the more so that you can be comforted, so that you can be satisfied, so that you can see God, so that you can have mercy, that you can have all of these blessings. In fact, the whole imagery of chapter five is covenantal. I've tried not to geek out too much with you in these early chapters about how this is completely paralleling. Israel in the wilderness and Moses and I've talked a little bit about it and I've with great restraint kept it to the side and not gone into great detail. 
But it's continuing here. Because here you have Jesus after he has completed the success of the wilderness temptations where Israel has failed. Where you see him them crossing through the waters like Israel crossed through the waters. And now Jesus goes up on a mountain like Moses went up on a mountain and now declares the law of the kingdom. And to put it another way, this is God's covenant with you. That if you will live this upside down kingdom life, you will be comforted. You will be satisfied. You will see God. You will be children of God. That the kingdom of heaven is yours. And you have great reward in heaven. It is a covenant. As he sits on that mountain like Moses. And delivers the law to the people. It is God's promise to you. And I hope that it would encourage us then to live a blessed life. My big message to you this morning is just to simply, number one, would you just ask yourself, how are you living? I I can't imagine that the intention was anything else as Jesus opened with these Beatitudes was for the crowd to hear these words and to question, well, is that me? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, how do we look at ourselves? Are we poor in spirit? Do we see our spiritual poverty? Blessed are those who mourn. Do we mourn over our sins? Do we mourn over our failures? Do we mourn over our sinfulness and our spiritual condition? Blessed are those who are meek. Do we restrain ourselves, show self-control, are gentle and humble with one another and with others? Do we show the meekness of Jesus who had something to show and say but didn't draw attention to himself? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are we living our lives in a way because we're seeking God's ways? Or are we establishing our own ways as right? Blessed are the merciful. Do we show people mercy? Do we have compassion for them? Do we forgive them? Do we understand that we're just in need of as much mercy as they are? And that's why we want to give it. Do we live our lives in that way? Blessed are the pure in heart. Are we fake? Is what we're doing right now a show? And in about 30 minutes, we'll get right back to what we've always been doing. Back to the deception, back to the sinful life. Back to rejecting God. Come back around on Sunday. Make it look real pretty again. Facade up. Christian facade. Looking good. We're all good. High fives all around. Then back to our sinful ways. Purity of heart. Sincerity. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. We try to reconcile with people. 
somebody wrongs you, are you trying to take it out on them? Or do you overlook it? And if it's something serious that can't be overlooked, then do you look to solve it? And I don't mean solve it like we're going to solve it. Peacemakers, solve it. Let's come back together. Let's fix this. Let's talk this out. Let's work this out. Let's put this relationship back together again. Blessed are you those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Are we willing to lose our comforts, be insulted, and be persecuted for Jesus and for doing right? I think that's a really important question going forward. Are you willing to be insulted and persecuted for doing right? We need to examine ourselves. And then I want to point out number two, what Jesus, I think, is doing is calling for us to live where we belong. You and I belong in an upside down kingdom. And if we are citizens of God's kingdom, then that means we're going to live counterculturally. We're not going to live like the world lives. We're going to live the way God says to live. We're not going to think the way the world thinks. We're going to think the way that God thinks. Or to put it another way, to put it, this is how it worked for my mind. <clears throat> it's about going against the flow. Culture is like this, this river just against us. And Jesus is saying, you've got to go upstream against that. You cannot go with the flow. In fact, what Jesus challenges us here is when we try to make the world's ways and God's ways match, we've done something wrong. The world's ways and God's ways do not match. Its values do not match God's values. Its teachings do not match God's teachings. The world's ways do not match God's ways. That's why there's a collision. That's why you will be insulted. That's why you will be persecuted. Because they don't match. And we can't make living in God's kingdom try to match the world so that there's no more hostility. We're doing something wrong. We are called to go against the flow. And let me end with this then. You are living the blessed life when you are poor in spirit. You are living the blessed life when you are mourning over your sins. You are living the blessed life when you are meek, gentle, self-controlled, humble. You are living the blessed life when you desire thirst, hunger for God's right paths. You are living the blessed life when you show somebody mercy. You're living the blessed life. You're living the blessed life when you have a pure heart and you're removing all that insincerity and fakeness out of you. You're living the blessed life when you are showing peace and making peace. 
reconciling relationships, putting things back together with others. You're living the blessed life when you do that. And you are living the blessed life when you're insulted for doing what God has told you to do. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, these these declarations are so hard. Lord, I believe they are so hard because they truly are standing against everything our culture has told us of what is right and good. Lord, they are teachings that tell us to not be selfish, to not be self-centered, to not think about self. And Lord, we are very good at doing those things. Lord, please forgive us for how often we have made so much of ourselves How often we put ourselves forward. How often we excuse ourselves and vindicate ourselves for making life about who we are, what we want, what we want to do, and what matters to us. God, forgive us. And Lord, help us to see the nature of the kingdom that you have called us into. Help us to see that it is a backward calling. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and give us the strength to live that backward calling. Give us the strength to go against the flow so that we would be poor in spirit, that we would be mourners over our lives and over our sins, that we would be meek, that we would seek your righteousness, that we would be merciful, that we'd be pure in heart, that we'd be peacemakers. Lord, help us to have those qualities. Help us to seek those characteristics. Help us to fall more into the image of your son. And Lord, we know that your son was perfect in all of these characteristics. Lord, we pray that we would follow him and seek him so that we would adopt them in our lives. Forgive us for how often we've gone with the flow of our culture, how often we've lived as a part of the kingdom of this world rather than in yours. And Lord, give us the strength and mental fortitude to be ready to be insulted and persecuted for your sake. Help us to be willing to make a stand. Help us to be willing to open our mouths. And help us to be willing to show that we belong to your kingdom. Lord, I finally pray that we would help us hold on to your promises. Lord, we need comfort. And we need mercy. And Lord, we need to belong to you. And Lord, we need satisfaction. And we need your kingdom. And Lord, we look forward to the great reward. Lord, we want to see you. Lord, I can't imagine what that will be like. Help us to not forget the promises that you've made of what we will enjoy. 
and that we will finally get to see you face to face. Forgive us for our failures and help us to live a backward life. In Jesus' name, amen. A sing invitation song now. We invite you to come to Jesus, to come to this wonderful kingdom because in it is everything you are looking for. All of your hopes, all of your desires are found in Christ and in Christ alone. And he has promised to give you all that you are seeking. If you will go against the culture, go against the grain, go against your desires and seek the desires of God. Can we help you do that in any way? We want to help you in any way. You can let me know afterward. Let somebody next to you know that you're interested in getting your life right with God. Or you can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.